Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today's episode is sponsored by EvoFem Biosciences, NASDAQ EVFM, a female-forward company revolutionizing women's healthcare with game-changing products that address unmet needs in women's sexual and reproductive health. Learn more at evofem.com. Today's episode, we interview Kristen Carbone, founder and CEO of Brilliantly. Brilliantly is helping women live comfortable and empowered lives after mastectomies and reconstructive surgery. Did you know that one of the major lifelong side effects of getting a reconstructive surgery is that you are uncomfortably cold and cannot adjust to the temperature around you? I had no idea about this, uh, but it makes a lot of sense. Here's some science behind it. The saline in the reconstructed breasts try to equalize with the temperature outside of the body, so it pulls heat away from the woman's core in order to do this. It's really just basic thermodynamics. The saline is pulling heat from the body, which makes the woman constantly cold and uncomfortable. Our guest, Kristen, is a breast cancer survivor who thought her chronic coldness was something unique to her, and even when she told her doctors, they advised she just dress warmer. Here at Femtech Focus, we speak a lot about how it just is not enough to survive illnesses. Women deserve to thrive healthy lives after surviving illnesses. That includes not having to wear a sweater to the beach. Brilliantly is creating a sophisticated heated bra to counteract the negative temperature effects of reconstructive surgery. You can learn more at brilliantly.co. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Kristen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Brittany. I am very excited to have you here. It is chilly. You're wearing a hat. I actually have a fuzzy blanket that I wrap around me and then I take off for Zoom meetings. Um, (laughs) It's chilly out, huh? Oh, it's awful. (laughs) Where are you right now? I'm based in Providence, Rhode Island, and we typically have I'm from Buffalo, New York, so Providence winters seem sort of mild to me. Mm-hmm. This time of year when it's like dark at four o'clock is my week. The dark and cold really gets me. Yes. As my listeners know, I've been living in Houston for the last eight years, and I just moved to Raleigh, North Carolina about two months ago. And yeah, today is, uh, is pretty cold. <laughs> it still feels um, like the South to me, but I'm in the Northeast, so... <laughs> I, yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, the reason I'm even bringing up the cold is because it's going to be something we talk about. So it's not like I'm just some like old lady talking about the weather. It's actually pertinent to our conversation. But before we get into that, can you please tell our listeners a little bit more about you? We have a lot of aspiring founders and young people listening. And so usually the trajectory to get into femtech is not linear. And so can you tell us your story? Yeah, totally. I couldn't be less linear. So I am a curator. Um, I am an art history major, 
um, worked in museums, typically with contemporary artists, um, ended up a few years ago meeting a group of contemporary artists that had a public art practice, but also a corporate training practice. And I ended up joining their team. So I split my time between making large scale public murals out of tape and then teaching executives about creative problem solving. Then went on to work in a small um, consulting agency that did sort of state of mind creative problem solving training and then onto a design thinking studio. And that was my last job before I started brilliantly. And we are, um, as you know, and why I'm here, we are a femtech company. So I designed a product with lots and lots of help um, that is essentially, it's designed for breast cancer survivors or previvors, which are women who've had preventative mastectomies and reconstruction. But, uh, you know, we'll get into all the applications for it and a little bit more, but I'm a non-technical founder and my process has really been like a swirly curly cue of A to B to C and hopefully I'll eventually, fingers crossed, get to launch. Absolutely. And so what brought you to breast cancer innovation? Yeah, so my mom died 15 years ago from metastatic breast cancer in her 40s. And I started some really rigorous screening after my son was born in 2008. And when I started screening, I read the latest study that my soon-to-be oncologist had published, and it was about early onset breast cancer, so breast cancer in premenopausal women, and all of the common traits they found in their tests that were seemingly unrelated to cancer. So it was things like um, birth weight over 10 pounds, early first period, large head size, like things that you would never think, oh, breast cancer. And I had all of those traits oh. that were in that paper. So when I went and this was 2008. Um, I, my mom had not had genetic testing. There was no um, legislation that protected you against insurance discrimination in the early 2000s. And so she decided not to do it. Um, I had genetic testing, which was very different in the early 2000s than it is now, mm -hmm. and didn't have the BRCA mutation, which is the most common mm -hmm. or well-known and researched. Um, but I had all of those other common traits that they had found in this study. And so they treated me as if I had an unknown genetic mutation or hereditary risk. So um, shortly after I turned 30, we found a tumor in my left breast that was thankfully benign, but going through that process made me realize that the best option for me and for my physical health and my mental health and my emotional well-being was to have a preventative mastectomy. Yeah. So I had that in 2013. And I now you know, at the time I wasn't involved in the breast cancer community at all and didn't have any idea what to expect and brilliantly came about because there were all of these sort of quality of life issues that I came up against and had no idea where to go or who to talk to about them. I assumed most of them were unique to me, which I've learned time <laughs> and time and they're not. Um, and one of the things that bothered me the most that I was really unprepared for was how cold I feel. Um, and we can talk a little bit about that too. Wow, what an incredible, like tragic and intense story, but also like beautiful because we have modern medicine and you could get the preventative care, right? And thank, thanks goodness that you were proactive about it. That's so was it like a mammogram that they spotted the the mass or it wasn't. And maybe um, you know, this is something that we can all learn about is that mammography is not always the best technology for finding tumors. Mm -hmm. um, they found mine on an ultrasound. So because I was following this really intense screening path, I was having 
ultrasounds, mammograms, and MRIs every year. Wow. So it was an ultrasound that found my lump. Wow. And a mastectomy is both breasts? I did have a double mastectomy. I think um, if you're having a preventative surgery, typically you do both. Yeah. Um, women who get diagnosed with early stage breast cancer on one side are often faced with the choice about if they want to have one or both breasts removed. Mm-hmm. And that's called a contralateral preventative or no, I think it's contralateral preventative mastectomy, but it's a choice if you have cancer um, and it's diff- different depending on different types of cancer and different stages about if a physician recommends that or not. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing, you know, I follow studies about this pretty carefully that women oftentimes are choosing to have their other breasts removed because it gives them more peace of mind because they want to be symmetrical. There's lots of reasons that people decide to do that, even if it's not necessarily it does, might not change their medical outcome. Yeah. And so did you have reconstructive surgery after? I did. I had implants. Um, the process for doing that um, is, is changing all the time and hopefully there will be better options. I went through the process of having the mastectomy and then having tissue expanders put in, okay. which is where they create a pocket in your pectoral muscle and then slowly expand the, the tissue expanders over time using saline to create an actual space for the implant to sit behind your muscle. Okay. Um, it's really uncomfortable and it takes a while and it's lots of doctor's appointments. Um, they now do direct implant. So instead of having two surgeries, you can have one. Mm-hmm. Some women are choosing to have implants put over their muscles instead of under their muscles because it's really disruptive, like to, to strength, to mobility, to flexibility. Yeah. Cause that, that muscle previously was not in front of the breast tissue or it was. Yeah. Breast tissue sits on top of your pectoral muscle. Oh, okay. When they put in the implants, if they're under the muscle, they actually sever the muscle and create a space in between your pectoral muscles. So like if I'm swimming or like stirring a pot, this is my, like I'm stirring my cauldron motion, which (laughs) the listeners can't hear, but I do this a lot. Um, My implant actually moves. So I can feel it, but you can also see it. And so the term for that is animation deformity. So like if I had on a V-neck top and I was even just gesturing, you would see my implant moving. Because it's under the muscle, which is not quote unquote natural, right? That's, oh, I'm learning so much. I learned so much on this show. Wow. Well, you, thank you, first of all, for being so transparent and authentic with us. That's what we love the most on the show. And um, you mentioned that after this surgery, one of the things that you struggled with, which by the way, this is something that happens all the time in femtech where doctors are like, well, you survived. Aren't you fine with having a vagina that's closed shut? Like you survived. Aren't you fine with like not having comfortable sex ever? Aren't, you know, and it's like, no, no, I'm not. Um, we are, women are not fine with having uncomfortable lives. You know, mm-hmm. we deserve to thrive, survive and thrive and feel comfortable. And so this is brilliantly is like another company changing the status quo of like, what's, you know, what you have to quote unquote deal with after, um, a reconstructive surgery. So you said that after you had it, you were really cold. Tell our listeners what you mean by that. Yeah, totally. And I think you're so right. I feel like I'm part of this enormous tide change and for people who have a chronic illness or, you know, some kind of terrible accident or something like that, you do get bombarded with this narrative that you have to feel grateful. And of course you feel grateful that you survived, but it, it strips us of permission to say, I feel weird. I feel cold. I'm uncomfortable. I 
am struggling with body image, whatever it is. So I'm really, I'm excited to be part of that community that's making that change. The coldness um, was an evolution into feeling cold. So immediately post-op, there's so many feelings. You go through a whole journey of sensation from muscle spasms because mine are under the muscle um, to like back pain to nerve pain, like where you get these weird shooting pains. Um, one of the things that's like really bizarre that still, it happens re- very irregularly now, but like you feel an itch, but yeah. like you can't get it, you know, like oh, it's this, no. you're numb, you're swollen. Like there's a whole bunch of things that you go through and then you sort of settle into what your body's going to feel like. And for some people that's like their muscles are all really tight and they have to do physical therapy or some kind of corrective exercises to just kind of regain the ability to even sit up straight. Mm-hmm. For me, maybe four or five months after my reconstruction, I was like, I'm freezing cold. And I had lost a little bit of weight during surgery. I didn't have a lot of appetite. I just was like, my kids were two and four at the time. So just trying to like keep up with working in life and kids. And I thought, well, maybe like, maybe I'm just like, I, I didn't really know, but I knew that it happened when along with this surgery. And then once summer came around and I went in the ocean, I came out <laughs> swimming with my kids and you know, little kids lips, they're like, they turn purple and their teeth yeah. chatter. I really like, I go to the beach in a sweatshirt, I'll wear a hat, I'll like wrap up because I can't warm up again and you can feel it. Like they're actually cold to the touch. The breasts, sorry. The breasts. So when you remove the breast tissue and you add an implant, there's nothing there that's insulating the implant and keeping it at room temperature. So it's doing what any material wants to do, which is like equalize between the two spaces that it's in. So like my pee right now is getting cold because the room is cold Mm -hmm. and the implants that are sitting on my chest are just a heat sink. They're pulling heat from my core because I'm 98.3 and out here is 62. And so they're trying to figure out a way to be the middle. So that's why you're wearing a hat and a scarf. Cause I, I was a little confused. Like if your breasts are cold, why do you have to wear a hat? But you're saying that the breasts, the implants are literally pulling the heat from your bodies in order to like, you know, thermodynamics, you know? Yeah. <gasps> oh. So I'm wearing a hat also because I have, my hair is a total wreck. Well, you look but great. I, like I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my winter coat. Like I actually, I joke that it's my inside coat. I have a coat that I wear all the time inside oh in the winter. Gosh. Do all women experience this? So, you know, as many people who are experiencing anything from just sadness during a breakup <laughs> to feeling of like chronic pain, you think you're alone. It's really isolating to feel something that doesn't feel normal. And I assumed I was the only person who had this for a really long time. And my close friends were the only people who knew I had never talked to a doctor. I'd never asked. And one of my friends who does special effects for movies came across this thermally conductive material and was like, I bet we could make you something. And it was really in the process of trying to make something for myself. And because I'm not an engineer where we got to a point where we had this thing that was really cool, but hooked up to a drill battery, which I obviously <laughs> didn't wear, um, that I realized I had to ask if other people needed it, that it, it didn't make sense to try to make something for just me. And so in the summer of 2017, I talked to hundreds of women about their survivorship or pre-vivorship experience and you know, I didn't have any methodology. I was just having conversations like we're having right now mm-hmm. and found out that probably like 75% of women are bothered by the coldness. I think there's, of course, temperature is really subjective. Yes. So there are people who are like, yup, they're cold, but I don't care. 
-hmm. And there are other people who their nerves, like the nerves that perceive temperature and the nerves that perceive pain actually healed together in their healing process. And they're like, devastatingly uncomfortable when they're cold because the coldness is painful yeah oh my gosh and um why didn't you tell your doctor you know it's funny I felt embarrassed Mm -hmm. and I think this is something I learned too Mm -hmm. and I, I still struggle with is like and I love my doctors my plastic surgeon like she became my friend and I still didn't tell her because I felt like this woman worked so hard with me to like, oh. and even like my first set of implants drifted and I didn't, I was embarrassed to be like the work you did. I'm not satisfied with, you know, oh, oh, it yeah. just, I didn't want to say I'm having another issue. I'm ha- Cause I picked it. I picked to do this. This is my choice. Yeah. And I felt like I don't have to die from cancer. So I should shut up. And, and then there are of course, doctors, who are really dismissive, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, women ask and say they're cold and people are like put on another sweater or that's not real. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on like a very, not the same level scale. It's like, if I ask my hairdresser, you know what? I want to go with a Bob and I ask for it and they do it. And I'm like, Oh God, I don't like it. I'm going to leave and I'm going to give a tip and I'm going to be like, I'll just fix it later. Cause I feel like I, but I asked for it and they did this and this is their art form. And so on like a yeah. very, very different level. No, but it, I, but I can relate I'm totally to- that person too. I'd be like, thanks. And I'd go and be like, what the hell did I just do? Help me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or you can go to a different hairdresser, you yeah. know? Yeah. But, yeah. but in the medical community, they need your medical records. So you have to call <laughs> like, hey, I'm, going, we're, I'm breaking up with you. Um, wow. So yeah. Yeah. Press yeah. are so like, I mean, what a private part as well. You know, it's not even, I mean, hair, whatever, right? Like, gosh, it's so intense. All right. So what, what did you come up with? What was attached to this drill battery? What, what yeah, so, you know, when Chris first suggested it, I was like, well, I know there's heat, like Carhartt at the time had this like big heated jacket for guys who worked outside. I don't even know that it came in women's sizes, which is hilarious, but they, they were all like big bulky vests or coats and they had huge batteries and you would never know from looking at me now. And of course the listeners can't see me, but I generally tend to care about what I'm wearing and I want to wear something different every day. And I was cold every day. Like the summer is even worse when you walk into the grocery store or into an air conditioned space. Oh, it's almost worse than when it's just spring or fall. Yeah. And so I really wanted to make something that fit into any one of my bras, mm-hmm. making a bra, having a coat and having to wear the same right. coat for the rest of the And your there's an air gap, right? Like, and the heated coats and vests all have heat in the back. There's a few that have come out since that have heat in the front, uh-huh. but And I've learned because we've done exhaustive research that we actually, humans have evolved to have more nerves that perceive temperature in specific areas of your body, the chest being one. And of course, because you have to keep your core warm to stay alive. So you can eat a really small area of this part of your body and perceive an all over temperature change. So we didn't know that at the time, but we were actually leveraging the way (laughs) that nerves were meant to perceive. (laughs) Totally. So we made this thing that was shaped after those things that come in women's bathing suits that like I just throw away. Those like thin liners. Yeah, like the yep. almond shaped ones. Yep. So I cut out, you know, it was shaped like that. It was sewn together with a thermally conductive ribbon. 
And then it was hooked with wires to this drill battery and it worked and it fit into like sports bra, underwire bra, bralette, even like a fitted tank top that had a shelf bra in it. And you and just I, put it in there. It wasn't like sewn into the right. garment. Okay. Because bras are really complicated. Like oh, yeah. if there was one bra that we all wanted, it would exist. And it's even more complicated for women with reconstruction because oh, I can't like wiggle my boobs into something that doesn't fit them exactly. <laughs> They're not malleable. They're just shape. Yeah. 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 I have uh, one of our, our interns. She's incredible, Mariana. And she has a startup Nisa effect and they are creating a bra to cool women down during hot flashes. And I am begging her, Mariana, I'm doing it on air. I'm begging you. Don't make a bra, <laughs> make an implant. <laughs> into oh, a bra. Totally. I, you have to connect us because that feels, that's actually the future of, so our product is called Brilliantly Warm. Okay. Um, we have tested it with women who have augmentation for cosmetic reasons, for women who are chronically cold for other health conditions, with women like you who are sitting at your desk wrapped in a blanket. Like, <laughs> it, you know, we want people to have control over their personal temperature and to do that successfully long-term, we want it to be cool too, because mm -hmm. there are many, many women in the breast cancer community who go into medically induced menopause and then have those hot flashes. Yeah. So I would love to talk to her. Yeah, Mariana, we're gonna also, <laughs> yeah, convince her. Don't make a bra. Don't make a bra. I was also talking to a founder yesterday. She's making vaginal healthy yoga pants. Hell yeah. Yeah. And um, and then she was talking about like future directions and like they're gonna make shirts and I all the and I said, What about bras? She said, Girl, you know how it is to make bras. I said, You're right, you're right. No, don't do, do bras. <laughs> they're it's so hard. Complicated. It's really a feat of engineering. And I think, yeah. you know in addition to that tide change about us being able to say what's wrong or that we're uncomfortable, it's also bras are political, right? Like mm -hmm. it, do we want, not everybody wants them high and tight, like Victoria's <laughs> Secret sexy. You know, I would say almost every man that's an investor who I've talked to yeah. um, has been like, well, why don't you just partner with Victoria's Secret? I'm like, you don't understand. Women are like, we want to do all kinds of things with our boobs and, and one bra company is not going to do all of them. And oh. one bra is not going to fit everybody. No. Oh my goodness. That is a very frustrating comment. And it is why Femtech Focus is excited to start our own venture fund because those are not the questions you should be getting, you know? <laughs> like no, not at all. And I, my answer when I feel like being rude is really like, I'm high and tight for life, right? Like I don't need a push-up bra. Like I'm almost 40 and my knee skin sags. Like these are never going to sag. <laughs> Wrong market, guys. Oh my God. Idiots. Ah, well, where are you at today? So you told us you like hooked it up to a drill bit and not bit, but a battery. So where, yep. where is it at today? The technology? Yeah. So we've been doing R and D since uh, the fall of 2017. And we finished user testing last January, February. I unfortunately started to try to fundraise for like a proper round, right? As COVID hit. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm really thankful and so happy to be here still doing this today in uh, December of 2020, which really honestly didn't seem possible. Like last April, I thought it was over. Um, we negotiated a strategic partnership with an engineering and design company that is doing the final phase, like implementing the feedback from our user testing and doing the first small run of the product as an investment. So um, we are, our pre-sales start in January 
and we're hoping to be fulfilling orders at the end of Q1 of 2021. My gosh, this is amazing. I love hearing the journey and I'm sorry you experienced like a near death moment in terms of both in your life, but also in your company, right? Where you're like, I don't know if we're going to make it, but listeners, if you are a founder right now listening, maybe you're crying, maybe you're on a walk, maybe you're having a panic attack and you're like, I don't know if I can do this, Brit. Founder life is hard. You're okay. You're right where you're supposed to be. This is what happens in the founder life cycle. Constant, you know, fires in your life. And so I am so grateful to talk to a founder, you know, Kristen, that went didn't think you were going to make it and you're launching in like oh yeah weeks. <laughs> so. it, it is honestly like it is a practice in staying calm mm. there every single possible I I'm not I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on your podcast oh yeah but like every possible fucked up thing has happened in the last three years like we were living in a house that was under renovation and we had a toxic mold problem that came out once we opened up the walls. I had to throw out everything I owned. I moved with my kids into a studio apartment. Then the landlord of that house sold it right in the beginning of COVID. So we also had to move, you know, like it was just like life crisis after life crisis. In addition to like the obstacles that all women face fundraising and then COVID fundraising. And, you know, it was just like, it is anyone listening, you're going to be fine. Even if you're having a bad day, like have a drink, take a nap, start again the next day. It's pet a okay. puppy, pet a puppy. I did that thing to go to. <laughs> yeah, pet a puppy. That's a good advice. <laughs> and uh, and you were cold the whole time, unless you had your prototype, but your drill battery with you. No, so we have a whole bunch of different prototypes. I have one sitting here too, and I'm about to get the final set in the mail. I think in two days. So I'm so excited to like wear it around now that it's actually cold out. Wow. Um, and it's, it's really discreet and it's controlled by an app, which is pretty essential. I think um, many of the issues that women face are public. Mm-hmm. And especially if you've gone through a cancer struggle and lost your hair, like everybody sees you go through this. And so for me, I want it to be invisible. I want Brilliantly to be giving women really discreet solutions to all kinds of problems and this being the first. And then if you're somebody who needs it, you put it in your bra or whatever you're wearing undergarment in the morning. And if you get if you walk into the grocery store, if you get to your office, if you sit down and all of a sudden you feel cold, you just do this and then you feel better. So you don't have to stick your hand in your shirt or excuse yourself to go to the bathroom. Like I want women in boardrooms. Like like texting somebody, but you just texted your bra and you're like, warm up girlfriends. Yeah. Wow. What are some other um, problems or difficulties that women face after, you know, having this treatment to their breasts that we may not ever think about? Yeah, you know, honestly, it affects every single part of your life. And I think that was something that I was also really unprepared for the financial implications. Like I'm, I finished the payment plan from that day that we found um, a lump in my left breast. I was on a payment plan for seven years. Mm. Like I, I had seven monthly payment plans, like tens of thousands of dollars. Like I had a $12,000 day once, you know, like it, every single part from parenting, if you have a genetic mutation and you find out 
how you talk to your children about it, when you tell them that that's a thing that they might have to think about. If your partner leaves you, if you're dating, if you're thinking about having children and you've had cancer, like literally every part of your life from emotional to physical to just like quality of life issues are impacted. And I think um, the one of the things that I know universally is difficult is sort of your identity, like your physical identity and, and oftentimes your sexual identity. And if you like to be touched and if you're in a relationship through the entire journey, how you relate to your body and how you want someone else to relate to your body changes. And that's really hard to talk about. And if you're dating, saying out loud what you want anyway is hard, right? And like yeah. learning a new person and having someone come with expectations about what, where they can touch or where they can't touch is really difficult. Mm -hmm. And I think um, that is something, you know, we did an event around sexual wellness and a woman called in from chemo from the hospital. Like we had a woman in her hospital bed calling in. Like, I think the, there was a huge misconception that people who are sick aren't sexual people and everyone is a sexual person for the most yep. part. Yep. And it doesn't, it might change like what you want and what you need probably changes as you go through that journey. Mm -hmm. But um, the doctors aren't talking about that enough and nurse navigators aren't talking about that enough. And women don't know how to advocate for themselves because it's complicated and people get uncomfortable. So I think those are sort of the, you know, everything is affected, but I think it's important to really keep talking about the things that are taboo until they don't, they aren't taboo anymore. That's right. That's right. Cause you know, cancer is not just a weekend strep throat, you know, kind of a door deal where you're just like, well, this week's off because I have whatever it's months of your life that you knew and people are still living their lives. And wow, that's so powerful. That is so powerful. Uh, um, what are some of your future goals for Brilliantly? Yeah. So one of the things I used to say when I was trying to explain to usually investors um, about why, about why, just why in general. God, why do we have to explain it? Why? Yeah. But there's no, <laughs> I would say there's no what to expect version yep. of post-cancer. You leave you leave the hospital, if you're lucky enough to ring that bell and you're declared like no evidence of disease and you get to go home, everybody's like, you did it, you survived, go live your life. And you're like, what? I don't know what to do. No one's like, welcome back to your life. Let's help, let's give you these actionable tools and products and services and content that you need to feel like you and not be like a pink t-shirt and nothing disparaging about awareness campaigns. It's really important. But I think there's lots and lots of women who don't want a bumper sticker in their car, they don't want to put on a pink t-shirt mm -hmm. like that cancer is something that happened to them it's not their entire identity and so for me i really want brilliantly to not be pink i don't want us to have women wearing our t-shirts mm -hmm. i want it to be that you just get to be you and that we're delivering the tools that you need to feel good and whether that's sharing other people's products or someone else's blog, or this is a DIY thing that you can do, or here's an interview with somebody who had a similar experience to what you had. So for me, it's really an entire platform that has curated, vetted resources, some things that we make, because I'm not interested in really remaking something that's already out there and, and great. Yep. But I do think um, there's a book in our future. Um, we're working on a book proposal. There's corrective exercise programs. There's lots of events. And I do really strongly believe, and not just because of COVID, that 
what what we're doing needs to be agnostic of geography. Yep. Women who are in rural Alabama who drove two hours for their treatment mm-hmm. need community and camaraderie and the sisterhood just as much as someone in a big city who could go to a spin class on a Tuesday night with a group of survivors. Once again, this is like Femtech 101. If you want a successful femtech company, oftentimes it has to be coupled with a community because you're usually targeting something that the woman thinks she's the only one and the community part helps. Moreover, like you said, woman in Alabama, there's so many women that are in like literally OB-GYN deserts where they don't even have an OB-GYN anywhere near them, miles and miles worth, right? So community is so important education is so important in femtech companies. Um, And I love that you're like, I don't give a fuck if it's pink. (laughs) Like this ain't about pink. And actually what that brought something to my mind I wanna ask you about is what about trans women? Do they experience this too if they have, you know, implants? Yeah, it's such a good question. And my, my plastic surgeon who is honestly like just a gem of a human, she left NYU to start her own private practice and has become one of the like renowned top surgeons in New York City. And so I've been talking to her um, about having some trans women try this out. Yes. I, I can't imagine that it's not a problem. Yep. Um, but I also think, you know, it is, it, it, that, that experience is wrapped up in a lot of hormonal changes as well, which also change how you perceive temperature. That's right. um, that's there's a lot going on there, but I do think that that's a potential community Absolutely. too. Yeah. Well, we just had a trans women's health episode that just launched and essentially awesome. the interview was literally me interviewing a trans woman and saying, what are things that you struggle with? And then everything she said, I'd say, how interesting, because cis women struggle with that too. And like, and then the the moral of the story and what I try to get across was like, femtech is trans women's, is trans health in general, you know, because <laughs> we have a lot of the same complications. Wow. Well, I am so excited to see where you go in the future. This, you are incredible. You are so inspiring. This is amazing. I cannot wait to support you. Um, I mean, I personally would love, we we actually just got new merch out that says got ovaries. And, uh, we also have a, (laughs) we have a shirt that says, uh, it's vulva, not vagina. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I have a, uh, I have a, another founder who definitely needs that shirt. She makes products for your vulva. Um, I love it. That's awesome. And I, I'm excited about you too. And I'm hoping that we can continue to support each other. And I appreciate you having me on the show so much. Yeah. I have two last questions for you really quick that our listeners love. The first one is, since we have a lot of aspiring femtech founders, what is an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating? Ooh, that's such a good question. Um, you know, I, I've been watching it really closely, but only for about three years. And I think where I see the most progress is in menopausal health, which is really important and also infertility. Mm-hmm. But I think that they're, um, I'm trying to think where, I'm gonna go right back into sexual health because I think that there is just, there are some really great players in the space, mm-hmm. but I do think that there is so much room, especially for education yeah. in sexual health. So th- I'm gonna go with that. 100% sex ed all the way, I'm all for it. And then our last question is, what does the femtech industry as a whole need the most right now in order to be successful? 
money, 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 money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, you know, the statistics are staggering. Yep. Um, if you look at what, where the capital goes yep. Um, yep. for women, for women, for people of color, like the, the access to capital is so incredibly limited. And the focus on fundraising when your passion is about women's health is such a huge diversion from your attention and your energy. And I think, you know, there are lots of women who want to support and invest in women. They write smaller checks, mm-hmm. um, which is understandable. We are just in this moment where that's where power and money structures are changing, but it is a messy, ugly, really difficult thing to do to fundraise as a woman in women's health. There's data missing. There's, you yeah. know, we could talk just about why it's hard to raise money as a woman. And it's not just because men don't respect the woman in front of them. It's like missing data. It's, it's that we haven't had enough successful exits by women, that there haven't been femtech companies yet that have reached, you know, there's issue upon issue upon issue. And I think the only way to see innovation is to put more money towards it. And I think if you are a woman out there raising capital and you need help or want to talk, I'm please reach out to me. And I, as just as a woman wanting to be part of this shift in power and money, I am really actively looking for female investors because I want to work for women. I take much, much smaller checks from women because I'm like, I want to make you more money so you can invest more women. And I think we have to really be focused and aligned and uplift each other because, you know, it's not pie. There is enough money for all of us to get funded and we do not have to be competitive. We have to support each other. Absolutely. Well, I do feel very collaborative energy in the femtech industry. We're super, super collaborative, but you know, I feel like fighting for, to convince men to give us money, like we we're going to continue to fight for that, but less than 1% of accredited women in the U S have ever made a startup investment. If we could just get these women and, and, and then the statistics of how much women give as donations to organizations. And it's just like, hey, donate over here. And by the way, I get money back, <laughs> you know, potentially. So, yeah. oh man, this has been so much fun. You're amazing. You're a rock star. I can't wait to see all the successes you have. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me. And if any of your listeners want to reach out, I'm at Kristen at brilliantly.co. I love to hear from people. I'd love to talk to you, whether you're a founder or a woman in the breast cancer community. I'm all ears and will definitely respond. Thank you for listening to my interview with Kristen Carbone, founder, CEO of Brilliantly. Brilliantly is another prime example of how many femtech companies succeed. It was started by a woman who felt isolated, different, and discouraged that people expected her to just be grateful to be alive. She experienced disbelief and minimization by physicians. She then took matters into her own hands and is using technology to solve her problem. She's going to help millions of women make the transition from confronting cancer to embracing life. Moreover, she's a classic femtech business because if you go to brilliantly.co, you'll see that her startup is also offering educational and community content, as well as really great resources like a free online course for pectoral muscle strengthening and educational blogs for cancer survivors. I am really excited to see where this company goes next. 
Alrighty, Femme fans, in our next listening party, it is tonight, Monday the 18th, and we are listening to my interview with Dr. Rupan Gill on abortion and reproductive health. Next week, Monday night listening party, will be my interview with Blythe Caro on PTSD. Additionally, next week, Wednesday the 27th at 1 p.m. Eastern, is our next Femtech Fundamentals webinar. Femtech Fundamentals is our new bi-weekly series for Femtech founders to build, launch, and succeed. Last week, uh, we had over 50 founders in attendance from around the world, so you need to get on this. you got to join us. On the 27th, I'll be giving a workshop on the essential elements of a pitch deck. This will be a 30-minute webinar followed by 30 minutes of Q&A, so come ready with your questions. You can register for the listening parties and Femtech Fundamentals on our website, femtechfocus.org. While there, you can join our virtual community, subscribe to our newsletter, and follow us on social. Also, Fem fans, if you love the show, do me a favor. Show us some love, share it with a friend, rate it, and review it. That would mean a lot to us. And until next time, keep innovating, because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.